Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained, Christians are encouraged, and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Well, amen. If that doesn't inspire you to say praise the Lord or amen or jump up and down in your pew, I'll tell you what, you're dead. Your wood's wet, but... uh, it was a great, great song, one of the favorites of the church, Isaiah 40. The Lord just points a, kind of hit through Isaiah, just says, Behold your God, there's no, no, no one like him. The majesty of our God is a great therapy for the discouraged soul. And thank you for that reminder tonight. Well done. Take your Bibles. We really have about two more lessons in the book of James. We're coming to the end, James chapter 5, and we are finding ourselves in verse 7. James 5 and verse 7. And we'll read through verse 11 just in a moment. I want to ask a question as we begin. How patient of a person are you? Raise your hand right now if you're waiting on something in your life. You're waiting on something. That's most of you. Um, I think most of us are, I don't know how patient we are, but all of us are asking, I'm sure, God to do some things that only He can do. In traffic, I'm not too patient, but if you told me that I, had to, uh, that I would get $1 million for not drinking any soda pop or soda uh, for three years, I think I could do it. It depends, doesn't it, on the prize. Depends on how we wait often. What's at the end of this waiting? Well, as we look at our text today, and we'll read it together here, you'll find that that's really the theme of James chapter 5, verses 7 and beyond. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, or farmer, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it. An oft-repeated theme. Until he receives the early and the, late, uh, the latter rain. Be patient also. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Hope you haven't forgotten that Jesus is coming again. Grudge not, complain, or criticize not against one another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door, and he's listening to what you're saying about each other. That's a cause for awareness and alertness to how we speak and what we say about others in the church. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of, or compassionate and of tender mercy. Talking tonight about our need in this life for patience. Father... Thank you that you're the God who uh, has his hand on not just the thermostat, how hot our trials become, but how long they last. And we're grateful tonight for a God that uh, never tests us beyond what we're able to bear, but with the temptation provides for us the grace to escape, to wait, to patiently endure uh, as uh, as you perform in us and provide for us the training necessary for the character we need. 
Lord, help us, as James reminds us in the beginning of his book, to count it all joy when we fall into these uh, different testings that we might just enjoy the perfecting that patience brings to us. Lord, I saw the hands raised before me tonight, and I know that each one of these hands represents something that they're asking you for, waiting for. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us just a biblical response to these long-winded trials. Help us to, tonight to learn from thy word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we see this word often in the text. There's just a few verses we've read about patience. What does it mean? Well, it comes from two Greek words. Makros, meaning long, and thymos, temper. You have to be long-tempered. Is that you? Are you the kind of person that has a short fuse? It doesn't take much before you blow up. You'll notice the word therefore in verse 7. Therefore, be patient therefore. Uh, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman or the farmer waits for the fruit. We've already learned that um, there's a sense in which we have to uh, understand that the therefores in Bible are placed to connect passages together. And the Lord has warned in the first few verses, it's been a minute since we've looked at this, but there is this group of folks in, in every place that are driven by temporal blessings, and they're greedy. And even in the church, there can be this overconsumption with things that don't matter or don't last. And there was a, really a, a, a warning back in chapter 5, verse 1, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come. So we are to be patient, and, and really this, the audience, right there, the local audience, was those that were being persecuted and suffering deeply for the cause of Christ, that weren't rich in these world's goods, but were were being driven about, hiding in caves and running from the Roman spears and, and being tortured. And yet, God says, you be patient. And remember uh, that the husbandman, there's actually three illustrations used in our text, the farmer, the husbandman, and also we see, uh, as you, you don't have to turn the page perhaps in your Bible, but the prophets and then, of course, Job. So James starts his book. He says, you ought to be patient, chapter 1. Be patient. Now let patience have a perfecting work in you. The trial of your faith worketh patience. Nobody really likes that. We're almost, it's almost right up there in the top 10 things we don't like being preached about, like this morning's subject on subjection and submission to God. Why, why, why do you bring a message on patience? We want it, and we want it now, right? Somebody said, I want patience, but Lord, give it to me right now. Well, there's a sister truth to this morning's message. How about controlling our natural impulses to want to bring all things under our subjection? Instead, we are to realize that God is working through difficult places and people and things, uh, even long-winded problems to create in us character and really win others to Christ by our submission to Him. T tonight, it's about patiently waiting on God's timing. Many Greek scholars believe that the word endurance and long-suffering have to do with two different things. They would say that long-suffering has to do with dealing with prickly people. Are you putting up with somebody in your life right now that just drives you up a wall? Well, you need long-suffering, all right? 
And then endurance has to do with circumstances that are long, drawn out, uh, circumstances that are difficult or painful. What is it with you? Is it a difficult person that's needling you? Or is it a situation? How? How are you waiting for God to work? Well, regardless of the nature of the trial, there is answers in the Word. There's a motive for our patience, and we'll see it in our text tonight. In three times, at least three, you could almost say four times. One in verse 7, if you'll notice. Be patient, why? Uh, be patient unto the coming of the Lord. And then verse 8. Be patient, why? The coming of the Lord is drawing near. Sometimes we forget to preach about that. Forget to encourage one another with that. Did you know that the Lord is coming back? He is. And so because of that, we are to endure patiently. And then, verse 9, the judge standeth at the door. That is, he's near. He's coming again. The judge of all the earth will sort out. There'll be four judgments at the end of the age, and God will do right. The judge of all the earth will do right. And then we see a hint at that in verse 11, the end of the Lord is at hand in the story of Job. So it matters how you wait for the coming of the Lord. When's the last time? When's the last time that you encourage somebody, cheer up, brother, um, God is coming back, and it could be today. I think it was way back in the day Jerry Falwell had a little pin that he sent out in the mail to those, I think, who supported him or bought a book or something, and it was a little trumpet. Remember that? Perhaps today. Have you forgotten that God is coming back? And it could be at any moment, perhaps now. And because of this, the truth of God's soon return, we are to endure with patience. So it does matter how we wait. The supreme motivation uh, really is answered in that wonderful, uh, the wonderful truth, the Lord is coming back again. Bill Rice tells of a man, uh, a time, excuse me, when his daddy went out on a, a little trip, mission trip, and was away for a couple of weeks. And during that time, uh, he started goofing off, and he was acting silly as a young boy, and he knocked the lamp off a table there in the living room, and it shattered on the floor. Of course, his sister had a perfect behavior <laughs> during those two weeks. And he said, as the days drew near when my father was going to come back from the mission trip, Bill tells the story, he says, my heart began to fill with fear at what my father would rightly do to me because of my silliness. But my sister had a completely different spirit. She was looking forward with great anticipation to the return of daddy. Two different responses in the same family. One great fear, the other, of course, great joy. 1 Peter 4, 7 reminds us that the end of all things is at hand. So be, be sober, uh, be, be vigilant. The end of all things is near, and so we are to watch unto prayer. The question before us tonight is this. How can we have the joy and not the fear at the arrival of Christ? And James, of course, gives us three illustrations. The first is that of a farmer. How many of you uh, spent some time on a farm, grew up on a farm, or uh, did some work? There's a couple, three hands uh, out there. You know something then about farming. You do not get into farming if you are what? Impatient. It is a waiting game. 
There's so many factors, isn't there, in a good crop. There's the soil, the seed, the weather. It can be iffy, the deer, the bugs. Everything seems to be against the farmer. All these can destroy the crop. And there's, of course, the process of farming. Of course, the tilling, and then uh, the, the planting, the fertilizing, the cultivating. All that goes you know, into the, the, the final process of the harvest. And I can remember the, the, the summers in Kansas, the hot summers in Kansas, uh, when especially at the beginning of the summer, when the combines would start rolling through those wheat fields, all those beautiful Kansas wheat fields, and sometimes there'd be harvest crews that would come through, and they're up to six and seven combines uh, cutting, the, and the dust would just roll. It was a joyful time, but there's a lot that goes into that harvest, isn't there? If you're a farmer, you know that. There's a lot of patience and, and waiting. In fact, I can remember at our church there in Newton, Kansas, um, the, the talk on Wednesday nights during the prayer meeting wasn't so much about the Royals, Kansas City Royals, or even the Chiefs at the time. I think both teams were struggling. But it was more about this every week, the farmers that were there. And there was quite a few Mennonite background farmers. There's their Weebies and Enses and Regeers and Tises and Yonses and Yoders and all these names and all related somehow. But they all had farms. And the prayer request that almost invariably would come up was this. Would you please pray for rain? You know, I've been here a few years, and rarely in Georgia do we have that hand go up, pray for rain, my crops need it. But there's the early and the latter rain, and the farmers in Israel knew that. And so we see, be patient, verse 7, unto the coming of the Lord, the husbandman waiteth. Many hands raised tonight, you're waiting for the precious fruit. Have long, he has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. It's a, a long process. In fact, uh, we would plant winter wheat in Kansas. Most farmers would. It was a, the climate was conducive to this. They would plant the wheat in the fall. And by the time uh, it got a little colder, there was already a stand of beautiful green wheat about this high. Sometimes they would turn cattle out just to graze a little bit. On the first stand of wheat, the winter wheat. And then would come the cold Kansas, windy cold Kansas winters. And the, all that green would kind of turn brown and cover up with snow. And here's the farmer in his house. He's praying, Lord, protect my crop. And he had to wait through that long cold winter. And sure enough, after the winter rains and then the spring rains in March and April, April we would see that wheat begin to thrive again and stand up about waist high. And we would talk at church about good crops. They would say, pray, pray that we'd have a great crop this year. What's a great wheat crop? Anybody know? Uh, how many bushels for eight per acre? Now, this was really before irrigation hit our area. And a farmer would say, if I have a poor crop, it'll be about 30 bushels an acre. If I have an average crop, it'll be about 45 bushels an acre. But if I have a good crop, it'll be 60 to 80 bushels an acre. They should pray that we'll have a good crop this year. But the farmer is always circling and managing and looking at his fields and praying that the Lord would do what only the Lord could do, give him a harvest. And so much was dependent upon his patience and waiting. He says, be patient. And then he goes on to say, verse 8, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. This is in correlation with the farmer. What does it mean to establish your heart? Establish, what does that really mean? It comes from a 
Greek word sterizo, to make sure, to stand fast, to strengthen. As you're waiting, strengthen your heart. Don't lose hope. Stand fast in the prospect that the Lord of the harvest will come soon and He will reward those who don't waver, who don't get weak in the battle, who stand fast. And that's the meaning there of that word, establish your hearts. Impatience with God, did you know this, can lead to impatience with people. Philip Brooks was a, a New England preacher, and he was known for his poise and his calmness in most situations. His friends, his closest friends, knew that he could get riled up. And one day, a friend of his saw him just pacing back and forth in his church. And he didn't know he was being observed, but he was just patient, pacing back and forth. And so he stepped in and said, Pastor Brooks, what in the world has, is wrong? And here's his response. Well, I'm in a hurry, he said, but God isn't. <laughs> Has that ever been true of you? I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Some of you are waiting for relationships to foster, begin, or relationships to improve. Some of you are waiting for that, that boat to come in that has all that money on it, you know, or are you waiting for health to improve? You're waiting for a son or a daughter to come back to the Lord. You're waiting perhaps for someone you've been praying for to get saved. We're praying for a dear brother of Robbins, who's so angry with the Lord. We're praying, Lord, break his heart. We've waited for years, years. Be patient, establish your hearts. God has not forgotten you. Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica to establish their hearts, their faith. 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 3. Paul prayed for the same church that they might be established, that they would stand fast. Told you that corny little joke about the man who entered his, or the boy who entered his, his mule into the Kentucky Derby, and they said, "Son, does that thing run fast?" He said, "No, but it can stand fast." Thank you. I got one. Uh, we need as Christians to be those who, regardless of how long and protracted the issue is, we just say, "Lord, you're coming again, and you will, you will righteously judge, and help me not to be weary in well doing." Maybe tonight uh, there is in your heart and uh, your soul, there's a wind blowing, a cold like over that Kansas wheat in the wintertime. We can't even see it anymore. The farmer wonders, will that stuff ever grow in the spring? Will it come through this harsh winter? And in your heart there is this either a desert feel or a winter feel. And the cold, dry winds have almost snuffed out the hope, establish, strengthen your hearts do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season what? Ye shall reap, if ye faint not. So establish your hearts. That's the first thing. The farmer is the picture of the established heart. Keep working while you're waiting. Don't give up. Blessed is he, Luke 12, 43, the servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him so doing. Now there's a, a little statement in verse 9, I think it, we could really uh, put it in the same compartment as the farmer. Uh, farmers have, are known for, not, um, for being helpers. We've seen it in Kansas all the time when somebody's combine goes down. 
they jump and help their neighbor. They're, they're great at that. And so we see that you're not to grudge one another while you're waiting. Grudge not one against one another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. I don't know how many times I've seen farmers at their own expense jump in and help another neighbor get their harvest or their crop in. We tend to criticize, don't we, one another? We, as we're waiting, it gets long-winded and we get upset and impatient and that bleeds over into how we think about others and and, and it's not the nature of a good farmer to begrudge his neighbor. To grudge is to sigh. <laughs> the, the meaning of the word grudge, begrudge, is to, to sigh in your spirit or to complain. Have you found yourself doing that? Have you found yourself just whining a little bit? The Bible says don't do that. Don't complain. Don't sigh in your spirit. Uh, you're sighing and not singing. You're straying, but not staying. You feel bruised, but not blessed. And here the Lord is saying, don't. Don't get into that uh, attitude that is critical. But just enjoy, even though it's not easy, enjoy the time of waiting. God is doing something under that cold snow in your life and in ministry. Number two, James reminds us about the prophet's we find that in verse number 10. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. What is it that we know about the prophets from the Old Testament? In fact, we could even think of, of uh, John the Baptist as the New Testament prophet that was alive and had the privilege of actually introducing Christ uh, to the community there. Behold, the Lamb of God. He was the last in the long line of prophets. But what what kind of treatment did the prophets get? Can you remember? It wasn't good. Can you think of what they did to the prophets? Not many of them were appreciated for sure in their long ministry. To the farmer, the Lord says, keep watching, waiting, keep working. To the prophet, uh, of course, as he reminds us about the prophets, they suffered greatly. Elijah was run out of town, basically. At least he ran out of town where, where the, the Jezebel was chasing him, and, and he was really defeated in many ways in his spirit. There's nobody that loves me, he said. Nobody cares. Nobody's standing with me. Many of the prophets were afflicted. Some were put to death. Many put to death. They were uh, mistreated. And the Lord says, I want you to remember them. You're going through a lot right now, but remember the prophets who have spoken what? What does verse 10 say? They've spoken in the name of the Lord. As you read the prophets, many times their, their chapters or their, their messages start by what? Thus saith the Lord. They had direct revelation by inspiration from God, and they, they could not hedge on the message. They couldn't change it. They had to go to the people and say the hard things. And say it, thus saith the Lord. Either you turn or you'll be taken into captivity. Either you turn or the Lord will turn. Have you been called lately to say hard things to people in love? Have you had to do that? Remember the prophets who day by day, through the long history of God's ongoing revelation, took the charge from God to go to the people and say, Thus saith the Lord, God loves you too much to leave you in your sin. He's coming back. 
So turn now before you go into captivity, saying the tough things to be a witness while you're waiting. As you remember the prophets, don't forget to witness about the coming of the Lord. It's a great motivator. As you're, as you're living, don't, don't muffle or mute the message that you have to tell that God is coming back again, and you need to be ready for that. It is the compelling message that the prophets had. They didn't hide or shelter their witness. He reminds us about the prophets. They were unashamed as heralds of the truth. And so he's telling us, you've got to be patient with this. Because you'll find as you look back in the pages of history that the prophets were not appreciated. And yet, think of them today standing in the presence of the Lord who called them into that ministry. Their faithful crown has been awarded to them. They were hunted down and hounded. Jeremiah was thrown into an abandoned well, a mud pit. Samuel dismissed as a leader. And on the list goes Elijah and Elisha made fun of and marginalized. So we want to remember that. And he says, as you suffer, as you go through it, as you're waiting... The church in America knows little of this, but as you're being suffering for the cause of Christ, do so and don't forget to witness. On the very next page in my Bible from the book of James is 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, greatly rejoice for season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, trials, that the trial of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory, the appearing of Jesus Christ. I was witnessing uh, out on the streets with a fellow. And he had a bad experience. In fact, he was chewed out and cursed out and cussed out by somebody. And he came back to me and he was kind of doing this uh, weird, he had a weird step when he came. He just kind of came back to me like this. And I said, what, what are you doing walking like that? He said, well, the Bible says we're to rejoice when we're, when we're really mistreated by the world. For so they persecuted the prophets. And it's true, there ought to be a joy in our heart simply because we're in, a, in a, an elite band of folks that the world doesn't understand and yet the witness needs to go forth. How do you wait? How are you waiting? Patiently? I hope so, like the farmer, strengthened in heart, keep working like the prophet's with expectant hearts, joyful hearts, keep, keep witnessing. And then Paul, or excuse me, Paul, James adds to the list a name that we're very familiar with when it comes to suffering. Verse 11, behold, we count them happy which endure. Remember we said endurance is about ongoing trials that seem to last forever. And he says, you're, the word happy there in the original is blessed or blessed. Behold, we count them blessed, which endure. <laughs> Often when we hear about the troubles of some folks in church, we don't say, well, well bless your heart. We say bless your heart, don't we? But we, we don't consider them blessed, do we? we? We say, I'm glad that's you and not me, and we whisper to ourselves, perhaps. But the Bible says you're blessed, happy. For you've heard the patience of Job, and you've seen the end of the Lord. You know the end of his story, don't you? 
God didn't put him through that to ruin or destroy him. God shows, chapter 42, the book of Job shows tremendous mercy to him. We don't know all the mysteries of why. In fact, God never said why I did all that with, uh, with my servant Job, but the end of it, we see the heart of God. <laughs> I love that story. It's, of course, a wonderful narrative of how God takes his life. Job, you've surely heard about him, and everybody that James was, was dealing with had heard about Job, one of the oldest books of the Bible. Job, remember Job? What do you do? Friends here tonight, what do you do on a day when you hear Job from one of your servants? You've lost all your earthly goods, your crops and your animals. You've lost 10 of children in a whirlwind. And then your health disappears and evaporates and your status as a town leader. You lose your job and respect. You find yourself in the dust, scraping the boils on your flesh and skin, the sores, with some pottery sitting in an ash pile, what in the world do you say to God? Well, I doubt that you would be counted as blessed, at least from the way we think. How could happy and blessed even go together in the same verse when we remember Job. To make matters worse, in chapter 2 of Job, verse 9, his wife happens by. Remember what she says? Job, really the, really the last survivor besides Job and the family. Job, my husband, why don't you just curse God and die? Behold, we count them happy or blessed that endure, for you've surely heard of the patience of Job, but you've seen the end. In fact, I found out as I studied this a bit that Job actually came to a place where he lost his confidence in God's presence. Have you been there? Where chapter 30, verse 20 and 21, I cry unto thee, and thou did not hear me. I stand up, and thou regardest me not. Thou art become cruel to me with thy strong hand. The purpose of Job's suffering cannot be fully known. There are some mysteries there. God never explains it all. It really was a, a discussion that began with the Lord and Satan. We know there's a satanic attack on God's people, and God was pressing a point with Satan himself. Why? Satan asked, does he serve you for nothing? And the answer was, he serves me because he loves me, not because of the things I shower, but at the end. You know the end of the story, and I, I've already mentioned this. You've seen the end of the Lord in that case, in his life, that the Lord is very pitiful, compassionate is the word, and of tender mercy. The idea is many are you listening? God is many spleened. Many, he has, he has, this is the seat of the emotions in that day. And so when you were very compassionate, you have this great capacity to feel. God is touched with the feelings of our infirmity. 
God's uh, amazing, has an amazing, huge capacity to feel what you're feeling. That's what James is saying. Our God is not some kind of, uh, on some distant island or some place somewhere, uh, like the deist would say, he's, he's just started everything, he's left it alone. No, God is very compassionate and full of tender mercy. Don't you ever forget the goodness of God that transcends every trial. And even though the trial is long, God says, I want you to know that I love you in it. And I have a huge capacity uh, to have compassion upon you. So like the prophets, we are to keep witnessing. Like the farmers, keep working. Strengthen your heart. And like the man Job, patiently keep worshiping. Though he slay me, yet I don't understand it. But though he slay me, yet will I trust him. There must have been a smile on God's face when he heard those words from a man that had gone through what he went through. So patiently wait. It matters how you wait. Are you worshiping? Are you working as you wait? And, as are, and are you strengthening your heart as you wait? The Lord is full of tender compassion. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.